Welcome to Three Strands Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. We talked about greed the first week using the game Monopoly. We talked about uh, forgiveness week two using the game Sorry. We talked about lust last week using the game Risk. And today we're going to tackle this topic of idolatry using uh, the game of life. Any of you played the game of life, hopefully? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. So a few years ago, uh, Heather got one of those instant pots that it seems like now every, everybody has. Who has an Instant Pot in here? Yeah, yeah, I figured. Very popular now. But I'd never used a pressure cooker back in those days, much less one of these new handy-dandy Instant Pots. And one day, uh, I decided I was going to use it because I'd heard how great that they were. And so I decided to make something simple. It's a new dish called spaghetti. And... um, I, I googled some recipe where you put everything in there, the meat, the sauce, the noodles, all at once. And then th- there was this line in the, in the Instant Pot thing. It said, do not fill above this line. But psh, what do they know, right? And so I added a little more sauce because nobody likes dry spaghetti. And Prego is one of the greatest gifts God's ever given to man. And so I filled that sucker up. And about, uh, I think it was about 18, 20 minutes, something like that, if I recall. It was supposed to be done. And so I decided to release the pressure knob, but nobody told me that that little silver button had to be up beforehand. And when I released that knob, Prego shot up about six to eight feet in the air like a bottle rocket all over our ceiling. It was just dripping from the top of that. Yeah, yeah it was incredible. But uh, I've never used it since. But Now, why did that happen? In one word, the reason that happened is called pressure, right? Pressure. The question today is what do we do when stress bottles up inside of us with no release valve to where it feels like we're about to explode? Well, most of us run to something, and it's usually called an idol. So let me share with you a story about someone who's very good under pressure. I heard about a flight attendant who was working a flight out of Dallas where she had two men who were flirting with her on the plane, despite the fact that she was wearing a very noticeable wedding band, so they knew that she was married. One of the men was in the back of the plane, and the other was in the front of the plane in, in first class. And at the end of the flight, she had to go to the back of the plane to pick up everyone's garbage and trash, and sure enough, when she got there, The guy handed her a key to his condo with an address on it, on a note that read, I'll see you at nine, nine o'clock. And he winked at her. This really just, it got under her skin. It disturbed her, something awful. And so on the way back to the front of the plane, the Holy Spirit came over her and she had an idea. When she got to first class, She handed the other man who was in the front of the plane the note with the address on it and winked at him and said, I'll see you at nine. (laughs) Now, wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall at that condo at nine o'clock that night to see their reaction to each other, you know? I tell you that to illustrate that some people are very good under pressure. I don't like it. I don't like working under pressure. I feel like sometimes I'm more focused under pressure, but I really don't enjoy it. There are professional athletes 
who will quit prematurely before their career is over uh, because they can't handle that pressure on a day-to-day basis. Having to perform at such a high level every single day, it just gets to them, and so they, they retire or quit prematurely. It's difficult. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, he was no different. He said in 2 Corinthians, in one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he said this. He said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Can any of you relate to that? I mean, have you ever been so overwhelmed in life that you didn't even want to get out of bed and face the day? I'll just be honest, last Sunday right after church, I felt like that. I looked at my calendar, and I had something going on every single day after work, some days two and three things, and I thought, when am I ever going to have time to prepare for this week? And I was feeling a lot of pressure. And so you're going to get out of here pretty early today, okay? We were, last week, uh, we went long. We're going to get out early today. But maybe for you, uh, the pressure feels unique, like you're the only one going through this, like you're alone. M- maybe you're a mom, and you've got one kid at football practice, and another at piano lessons, and another in a club at school, and, and you, your life just feels like you're constantly just racing through drive throughs all the time. And the vision that you had for your life was not throwing chicken McNuggets in the back seat, you know, like you're actually feeding chickens. While you're off to the next stop, that wasn't the vision that you had for your life. Or maybe for you, it's that you own your own business, and you've got employees under you who count on you, they look to you, they depend on you to provide for them, and you're not sure what's going to happen with the economy, and you struggle to sleep at night. Or maybe you're a student who's trying to maintain this grade point average, or, or pick the right school, or maybe just pass a test. Well, listen, when the weight of that feels like it's going to crush you, would you just commit to memory these words from God in 2 Corinthians 12, 9? They'll be on the screen. That his power works best in weakness. God's power works best in weakness. I was just kidding about the, the weightlifting thing that run EJ out of here. But the truth is, when you lift weights... The way to make our muscles stronger is by making them what? Weak first, right? You lift weights and it weakens them, but over the course of time, they get stronger. God says his power works best in our weakness, not our strength. And I want us to recognize a couple of things concerning this. And the first one is this. Satan puts our weakness under the microscope. Have you ever noticed that? He takes things that are small, and he makes them feel bigger than they really are. And I know for me in my life, it's fear and worry at times. It's just a lot of times I'm fearful of certain things, and I worry a lot. And I have some unrealistic expectations sometimes when things don't work out the way I think they should or the way I would like them to. And so I worry, or I feel like a failure, and Satan will whisper, hey, God can't use somebody like you. You ever felt like that? In those moments when Satan takes our weakness and he makes them feel like it's just life-changing, we need to do what Paul said, and that's to take God's strength and put it under a telescope. To take God's strength and put it 
under a telescope. Telescopes take things that seem small, don't they? And they help us realize that they're bigger than they actually are. God's power, God's strength is actually bigger than we realize. And when Satan tries to hand us a microscope, God is handing us a telescope. And he's saying, hey, my power works best in your weakness. And you know what that means? That means that our failure, listen, is always smaller than God's forgiveness. And it means that our weakness is always smaller than God's strength. Always. You know, years ago at the NFL Draft Combine, that's the National Football League, um, one of the evaluations that was given to all of the owners was of a quarterback who was coming out of the University of Michigan named Tom Brady. And here was what the evaluation said. Listen to this. The evaluation said this. Poor build, skinny, lacks great physical stature and strength, lacks mobility, and the ability to avoid the rush, lacks arm strength, and can't throw the ball downfield. That's not good for a quarterback. Doesn't throw a really tight spiral, system-type player who can get exposed to forced ad-lib, and gets knocked down easily. That's what they said about Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback of all time. All right? Uh, you know, a seven-time Super Bowl champion. Now, their assessment was probably accurate back then, but man, did they ever miscalculate who it was they were evaluating, didn't they? The NBA, National Basketball Association, combines very similar. They, they have players bench press 185 pounds as many times as they can. And did you know there's only been one player at the combine who could not lift that at least one time? And when the bar got stuck on his chest... The other players and the other coaches laughed at him, and his name is Kevin Durant. But now Kevin Durant can hold up an NBA championship trophy in one hand, and he can hold up an MVP trophy in the other. And, and I tell you that because there's a guy in the Bible named Peter who was a lot like that. His weaknesses were way easier to spot than his strengths were. I mean, at one point, towards the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus looked at Peter, and he looked at the other disciples, and he told them, he said, listen, I need you guys to know this, because you're my close friends, but they're going to arrest me. They've been on our heels for three years now. I'll be taken, I'll be flogged, and I'll be crucified. And you remember Peter piping up here in this story? And he stopped Jesus in mid-sentence and said, never. No, 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 no. You've got it wrong, Jesus. I mean, are you kidding me? I wouldn't let them do that to you. I'll step in. I promise. I got this. And Jesus knew. He knew that Peter was not strong enough to do that. And that's why Jesus said these words to him. And it would be wise for you and I to listen in on this conversation when he says this in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And besides, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world 
but you lose your soul? I mean, is anything worth more than your soul, he said. In other words, Jesus is saying that one of the reasons we have stress and one of the reasons we have pressure in our lives is that we are chasing after and we're worshiping the wrong things. Warren Wiersbe, he said that most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regret and tomorrow's worry. Is that you? Do you feel like you're in between yesterday's regret and tomorrow's worry? I mean, I mean, worry and regret, they come to us when, when we chase after a career, when we chase after a relationship or, or material possessions, just hoping that they can deliver something that only God is capable of giving. And guys, when that happens, when that happens, we need to be reminded that this pursuit that we're on is called idolatry. That's what the Bible calls it. I mean, the Bible pulls no punches on this one. An idol is anything, anyone that we love more than Jesus. So whatever it is in our life, whoever it is in our life that we love more than Jesus, guys, that's an idol. Jesus was very clear that there are only two paths that we get to pick in this life. We can do things our way or we can do things his way, and that's it. Those are our two choices. And when I chase after my way, I'm chasing after comfort at all costs. And it leads me to believe that I deserve this trouble and this pain-free life. And the idol of comfort will whisper in our ear, Hey, if you can just save enough, if you can just invest enough money, you'll be comfortable. You'll be secure. And guys, this is the idol. This is the one that gets all of us to believe that at some point in our lives that you and I have control over the outcomes. This is the one that does it. That we feel like we're in control and we're not. Because I'm sure you've already figured this one out. But there is an outcome in life and it's called death. We don't know when. We don't know how. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it probably should. But the good news is that Jesus said there is a better way than following our own path. And when you and I pick God's path, we need to understand what we're doing. That we are really picking a path of crucifixion to self. We're, we're, we're literally dying to ourselves. It's not I deserve anymore, but I serve. It's, it's you first and it's me second. And guys, when we learn that lesson, we then realize that we don't have to keep up anymore. We don't have to be enough anymore because that's when the pressure valve of worry and regret, it'll be released in your life. And it'll be replaced with joy and contentment. Some of you need to start living with joy and contentment in your life and let it replace the worry and regret. Can I read you a clip of an article about a man from Morris, Minnesota, who demonstrates this with excellence, living life with joy and contentment? The article said this, Peace and quiet seem like a good thing until you've had too much. Keith Davidson got his fill in the months that followed the death of his wife, Evie. You just can't imagine what it's like, says Davidson who lost his wife to cancer in 2016 after a marriage of 66 years. 
You cry a lot. That's just the way it is because she's not here. But it's not quiet in Davidson's house anymore. No, late this spring, the 94-year-old retired judge installed in his backyard an in-ground swimming pool, and then he filled it with the neighborhood kids. As dozens of children giggle their way through the diving board flips and pool volleyball, Davidson sits nearby in the shade, enjoying the show from his lawn chair. Davidson is the first to admit that from an economic standpoint, there's no sense to be made of a 94-year-old installing a pool. He just doesn't care. I'm not sitting by myself looking at the walls, he smiles. Besides, what else could you think of doing where you could have a whole bunch of kids over every single afternoon? Now, guys, there's a man who's not being crucified between the thieves of worry and regret. He's 94, and he's living with joy and contentment in his life. Well, you know, the board game life that we're, we're talking about today was created in 1860, just before the Civil War, with the simple goal of helping young people be ready for life. And you know, those of you who have played it, you can either pick a career or you can go to college. But along the way, along the journey, it's, it's all the same. You go into debt, you build a house, you have some kids, and the goal is to get to the end and retire in where? You remember? You guys don't play life. You lied to me. Shady Acres, okay? Shady Acres is the go. It's where we want to get. But when you read the rules, you go through the rule book there, you won't find anything about the choice to pursue a life of comfort or the choice to pursue a life of crucifixion or sacrifice. This message of dying to ourselves, it's just not one that the world preaches today. And so let's introduce it real quickly, okay? What if today... What if today was the day for you where you said, you know what, I've lived for comfort long enough. I've lived for myself long enough, and it hasn't given me what I wanted. I'm, I'm going to choose to die to myself, my desires. What if tomorrow you woke up and you said, you know what, today I'm going to dress myself in compassion instead of designer clothes. Compassion. I'm going to listen more. And I'm going to talk less today. I'm going to encourage today as many people as I possibly can. It's not I deserve. It's I serve. It's God's way over my way. Now listen, in order to do that, in order to live that kind of life, Jesus would say that, that we need to take a step back and we need to do some self-evaluation. I mean, if Jesus were teaching this today, he may put up on the screen some popular American idols. Things like politics, sports, education, career, entertainment, social media, sex, money, clothes, food, hobbies, fitness. And you know what he may ask you to do? He may ask you to look at that list and to name two or three that just consume your thought life. It's what your day revolves around. It's all you think about. So which is it for you? And you know, it's, it's ironic because you look at that list and those things there actually have the potential to relieve pressure in our lives. Or they can add pressure. But you know what? It all depends on one thing, whether they add pressure to your life or relieve pressure. And the one thing is this. Is Jesus 
the priority in your life. That determines whether those things will add pressure to your life or relieve it. Is Jesus the priority in your life? Listen, the Bible is very clear on this. Please don't miss this. Jesus is either in first place in our lives or he's in no place at all. That's how it works with him. And anything or anyone sitting in first place there is an idol in our life. And guys, listen, idolatry is addictive. I mean, we have to crucify our appetite for anything on that list that's taking God's place so that we can increase our appetites for him. And there may be times in life, I get it, that we veer back to these things, unknowingly putting them in their improper place. And when that happens, we just need to realize that, admit that, and seek God's forgiveness to repent of that and then pursue God with all of our hearts again. And you may have to do that over and over, time and time again in your life, but keep doing it. And so can I just ask you this morning, what's it for you? What is it for you? What's your idol? Is it alcohol? Is it people-pleasing? Is it caffeine? Is it social media? Whatever it is that you and I struggle to say no to, it's probably something that has become a little more important in our lives than we care to admit. Shouldn't be that important. And Jesus, listen to me, is our life. He's not just a part of it. Listen, Jesus isn't just number one on our list. He is the list. He's it. It says it clearly in Colossians 3, 4. It says, and when Christ, don't miss this next part, who is your life. He's not just a part of our life. He's not just a spoke on the wheel. He's not just number one in our list of 10. No, he is your life. You see, the idols that people chase after, they never deliver on their promises, do they? I mean, idolatry and the addiction pressures that those idols create for us, listen, they're extremely selfish if you think about it. I mean, there's no difference between the alcoholic, the shopaholic, and the workaholic. We're all pursuing me, myself, and I in all of those situations. And so listen, the biggest idol in American culture today is the person who believes their rights are bigger than the commitment to the whole, all of us. And the person who, without realizing it, is worshiping themselves more than they are worshiping their creator. Guys, that's the plague in our country today. It's just self. And I think God would say to us today what he said to the people of Israel. You remember God laid out ten commandments for his people, and he said, if you want to have a good life, here's my top ten list, he says. Here's ten rules to live by. They're structure. They're a framework. They're a foundation for any society. And do you remember what the first one was in Exodus 20, verse 3? God said, you must not have what? Any other God but me. In other words, no idols. It's just me. It's not that God has a big ego. He just wants the best for us. And only he can give us what we truly need. And that's why he says that. So listen, when we feel pressure, big or small, at any point in our life, 
it is because we've been trying to do or be what only God can be in our lives. And I'm learning this at 48. I feel a lot of pressure sometimes. And when I do, I have to repeat that to myself. It's because you're trying to be what only God can be. You're trying to do what only God can do in your life. Listen, it's because we feel like we've got to sit on the throne and we've got to be in control. And the truth is simply that we don't. God doesn't want us to be. Guys, we can surrender. We can put our faith, our trust in God. You can trust him. He is a good, good father. And his intentions towards you, they're always pure. It's always good. Anybody ever been to Washington, D.C.? And uh, probably, if you have, you probably didn't even see this part. But there's a bridge in Washington, D.C. named after a guy named Arlen Williams. So there's a lot of famous uh, places in Washington, D.C., but this one most people have never heard of. You probably never heard of him, but on January 13th in 1982, a plane crashed over the Potomac River in Washington, D.C., and there were survivors just treading water in the frigid, ice-filled river trying to stay alive. And there were news cameras capturing all of this, and there were helicopters above trying to rescue people with ropes. And the Washington Post wrote a story about it afterwards, and I want to share a quote uh, from that article. I think, yeah. Here's what the quote said. Five different times the helicopter dropped a rope to save Williams. And five times Williams passed the rope to other passengers who were in worse shape than he was. And when the rope was finally extended to Williams the sixth time, he couldn't take hold of it. And he succumbed to the frigid waters. And it says his heroism was not rash. Aware that his own strength was fading, Williams deliberately handed hope to someone else. He deliberately handed hope to someone else. And so they named a bridge after him. And you know, his bridge is symbolic of getting people to safety from one place to another. It's symbolic of crossing something that you can't really cross on your own. And so can I just ask you this morning, isn't that what Jesus has done for us? He rescued us when we were absolutely helpless, and he threw us a rope called hope. And so take all of our political convictions, our love for sports and hunting, our house, our bank account, all of it. Take it all. Listen, guys, at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters in life is our relationship with Jesus. That's it. Because it's the only thing that you and I cannot live without. We need to be reminded of that often. And so let me close this morning by reading Jesus' words to us just one more time. And then during this last song, you can evaluate your own heart. But remember what he said. That if any of you, anyone in this room today, wants to be my follower, he said you must. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. You must give up your own way. You got to take up your cross. And he says, you got to follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you would just give up your life, why? For my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit? Think about it. What do you benefit if you gain the entire world? but you lose your own soul. Listen, here's the question. 
is anything worth more than your soul? Guys, I can't answer that for you. I know what the answer is for me, but you've got to answer that question from Jesus for yourself. And so I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come forward in the next few moments as they do that, as we sing this last song. Would you answer that question for yourself? Is anything worth more than your soul? Let's pray. Father, I know as we've sat here today and read from your word, there's probably various idols that have popped up in our minds that you've brought to, to our minds that we just need to get rid of. Things that we put in front of our relationship with you. God, I pray today would be the day that we recognize that, that we ask you to forgive us of that, and we repent and start walking the other way. God, nothing is worth more than a relationship with you. It's what life is all about. And Father, just as a church this morning, we want to, want to beg you to help us realize that you're not just number one on a list of a bunch of things in our life. You are our life. We want to live for you and you alone. And when things creep in and try to take our attention and away from you, would you just help us realize that, to catch it, to catch Satan's tricks, and we would just turn and repent and start following you each day all over again. Father, we love you. Thank you for teaching us this this morning. We want you to be it. We don't want to get sidetracked. We don't want to get distracted from things that don't matter. We just simply want to do life with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.